You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three, got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. We're here to bring you unique insights and stories from the BYU sports broadcasters who cover the Cougars and from the Cougars themselves. There's a farewell sign for BYU and West Coast Conference. See you later, West Coast Conference. BYU basketball is done as a member of the league that has housed them for 12 years. Both men's and women's teams ended up with losses in the conference tournament semifinals. Well-earned victory for the number 16 team in the country. I grabbed Spencer Linton after all the games were done to talk about what he saw from each team this season and what we can expect in the future. But first, I wanted to talk to him about broadcasting the West Coast Conference tourney one more time before the Cougars move on to the Big 12. Spencer, did you get misty-eyed when you said your last goodbye calling the BYU-Gonzaga women's basketball game? And yes, my my tongue is firmly in my cheek when I say this. Yeah, I don't know that the tears uh, officially showed up, but I certainly felt some nostalgia and took a little bit longer of a time to walk out of the arena. You know, it, it was one of those, wow, I, I can't believe that this is the end of an era and we're not going to be doing this again because BYU has had such a heavy hand and BYU TV specifically heavy hand in that West Coast Conference tournament. And it's been great to work with the WCC. They have uh, appreciated what we've been able to do and have been a great partner in covering their premier basketball event. And in many ways, their premier event all year. Mark Pope said it was brutal that his team couldn't get over the hump, but he's seen growth this season. Let's break this down. We will begin with the brutal part. It felt like another gut punch to have BYU come up short again against a good team. How did the team react uh, shortly after losing that game to St. Mary's? Well, certainly with how much effort went into erasing a 26-point deficit, at least getting it to within three with about 30 seconds to play, I mean, they just expended so much energy. And so to not be able to climb the hill entirely and then fall short and understand that wow, this might be the last game that this team plays together this year. It all depends on if an NIT invitation comes, um, but this this very well could be the final game that, that this team plays together. And it might be the very last for the seniors, Rudy Williams and Gideon George. And so understandably just kind of deflated and quiet and emotional so as I watched them leave the court and then, and then their body language um, in and out of the press conference, it was exactly what I expected it to be, which is I hope we have another chance to play a game together. And I don't want to go out losing to same areas like this, but they understand that that's a very possible reality. And um, I, so I, as far as the team goes, the players go just, yeah, a kind of dejection and, um, certainly second-guessing how in the world they allowed themselves to go down by 26 points to St. Mary's. Um, it's it just, it's tough. But that's kind of been, the game was in, in and of itself kind of a microcosm of the season, which is, wow, you know, we've had some low lows, but we've also shown these flashes of brilliance as a team um, and rally and fight 
and no quit attitude. And we saw a little bit of all of that in the game against St. Mary's and BYU in a lot of ways did this in their opener against Portland as well, where they just looked lethargic and stagnant and the offense was nowhere to be found. And they were losing by 13 to the eight seed. And then all of a sudden they just went on this crazy run to open the second half and ended up winning. And so that one is different, but when you go down 26 to a team that's nationally ranked and as talented as St. Mary's, it's, it's a tall task to ask them to come all the way back. Um, but I mean, circling back around to your initial question, it just, it kind of feels like this team is wondering, will we get to play another game? If not, then, um, that's a tough pill to swallow. And especially for Rudy Williams and Gideon George, whose college basketball careers will come to an end for the remainder. Uh, it'll take a few days, I'm sure, but now you turn the page to something so grand and big and frankly scary in the prospect of playing in the best basketball conference in America when you go to the Big 12. In fact, Mark Pope compared it to we're being transported from the coast to the base of Mount Rushmore, and (laughs) we're expected to set up camp and now begin to ascend one of the most daunting mountains uh, in the world. And we know the challenge that lies ahead of us and and how crazy it's going to be. But I thought that was uh, an interesting comparison from Mark Pope. You mentioned the two seniors that are on this team, Gideon George and Rudy Williams. Gideon came back for one more year. Rudy transferred to BYU to help this team out and also to, I think, help himself out too. What do you think their legacies are if this past week's game is their last game? For Gideon George... Initially, my thoughts go to his humanitarian efforts, the shoe drives that he organized for his home country and uh, him helping so many African children and especially learning that the number one transmission of disease in Africa is through feet. I thought, what an incredible effort for him to do this. And so I believe that his legacy, and this is not a knock on him as a basketball player, but his humanitarian efforts have been so monumental that it's kind of transcended anything on the basketball court. And I love that for Gideon. Um, He came to BYU. He found his wife. He got married. uh, He got to go to the NCAA tournament two years ago. I got to the elite eight in the NIT last year. And he played on some really fun, really good BYU basketball teams and uh, was a a key contributor on those teams. So uh, he helped Mark Pope do some nice things. I love Gideon George. I'm so glad he came to BYU. I'm so glad I get to know him. And I I look forward to having him around in the future too. I hope he's around Provo, Utah for a long time. And I think he could be um, just a huge boost to BYU's recruiting and saying, and showing that there is a place for everyone at BYU. Coach Pope has said that this team uh, was built not just for this year, but for several years. Even it's going, even even if it's going to be a, a tough road to hoe in the Big Twelve. What kind of a team will they have going forward? Because they have a lot of guys who could potentially come back and play next year. Again, like we talked about, only two guys graduating. A lot of youth, and they went through a lot of hard lessons this year. And and you asked me about Rudy, so I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, but as far as the young guys that that remain, that learned from the seniors, Rudy Williams and Gideon George, 
uh, a few things. One, how to be a great teammate. And I think that, that Rudy did that for a lot of guys who were trying to figure out their roles. Was I mean, you watch one of your star players and your star transfer portal pickup come off the bench and just kind of play his role. That was huge for the young guys. So uh, Richie Saunders and, and Dallin Hall specifically ha- have benefited a ton. And you saw that growth. I, even in the St. Mary's game, you saw what Dallin Hall and Richie Saunders mean to BYU and the future of BYU basketball. So th- the young core is there, and it, it's going to take some time. Now, the, the tricky part here is BYU isn't staying in the West Coast Conference. They're going to the Big 12. And so even though those young players have gotten so much better, now the level of competition goes up game in and game out. So the learning curve, again, will be drastic. It'll be dramatic and it'll be frustrating. Um, so growing pains will continue, but I, I do love the young court. The key for Mark Pope is is finding a piece or two to go with that core that is young and growing. And the transfer portal is a fickle beast. So it, that's the key again uh, for Mark. I, I believe it's find a big man in the portal of uh, somebody 610 plus physical presence a proven commodity maybe it's a graduate transfer I, I i think byu has to have one of those big guys to come in and work with foos and atiki and then they probably need a ball dominant scoring guard uh, the offense that mark pope wants to run is so reliant on guys that can just create plays and shots with the ball in their hands coming off of a ball screen and uh, Dallin Hall can do that a little bit, but Dallin needs some help in that regard to kind of get things going. Rudy did that a little bit, but it took a little bit uh, too long to kind of figure it out. And it just wasn't that consistency. So a ball dominant star guard, a big man, 6'10 or above, a couple of key transfer portal pieces to go along with that young core. Hey, Clean, I'm very excited. If BYU finishes in 10th or 11th place in the Big 12 next year, <laughs> great, great. You know, that, that's fan, that would feel like a success to me because the conference is so good and the 14 teams that are going to be together are so good top to bottom um, that finishing in 10th or 11th place could firmly place you on the NCAA tournament bubble. I mean, you could be 17 and 13 or 17 and 14 and have really good metrics because you play in such a tough conference and, and be you know a win or two away in your conference tournament from – maybe sneaking in one of those last spots and getting back into the big nets. Let's move over to women's basketball. It's not really surprising to see Gonzaga beat BYU. I think the bigger story in that last loss for the BYU women's team is that Lauren Gustin didn't get double figures in either points or rebounds. Nine points, nine rebounds in that game. Seems like she needs a bit more help or or maybe a more consistent outside shot for her senior season because every time she gets that ball on the post or she gets a rebound – the opposing team is swarming her. Yeah. And, and listen, the West coast conference teams figured out how to defend Lauren Gustin. People are like, why is she struggling so much? And why is this happening? And the later you get into a season, the, the more your conference teams understand what they have to do to try and slow you down. And that's to Gonzaga's credit and their coaching staff led by Lisa Fortier and her husband, Craig, like they did an incredible job devising a game plan to really limit and frustrate Lauren Gustin. But those teams know, I mean, they know Lauren very well. And you can say, well, the Big 12 teams are just going to look at what Gonzaga did, and that's exactly what they're going to do to Lauren. 
until you've played against Lauren Gustin, you can't really know. And, and players will tell you that coaches will tell you that like, yeah, you can scout, but like until you get in the game, you really understand how physical she is and what a specimen she is and just how nonstop she, she is, especially rebounding the basketball. It's hard to know. And so it takes a little bit of time. So BYU will have like a unique advantage, especially in the first matchups that they have against their big 12 competition that uh, of having their, their teams not have played against BYU stars yet. And then later in the season, then they can devise game plans and, and it, it just gets tougher as you go down the conference road. But um, yeah, I, I expect Lauren to have great success. She'll work on her outside shot. She certainly will work on her free throw shooting. Um, she is more than capable of being a better than, you know, 54% free throw shooter. And um, that rebounding prowess will continue. Let's talk about Nani Falatea. She really is a star in the making, but I think she would even admit she has work to do. Her field goal percentage was right around 40%, but she shot three-pointers fairly well, and she also led this team in assists. Your thoughts on Nani? I think that Nani is such an important figure for BYU women's basketball, and especially uh, with ball security, because when when she had turnover issues, uh, really seemed to affect her mentality overall. And then the shots don't drop and then she's frustrated and BYU just does not play well as a team when Nani does not play well herself individually. It's a lot of pressure for her to handle, but she's the point guard. She knows it and she embraces it for better and worse. Uh, she's, she is such a, a talented, skilled player with the basketball, so fluid, so smooth. Uh, has worked so much on her ball handling technique and her ability to find a seam and finishing at the rim with both hands and in unorthodox ways, jumping off of, you know, the wrong foot and finishing um, in so many difficult ways. Like it's so tough to jump off your right foot and then finish with your right hand and do so and make it look natural and fluid, but she can do that and she can do it with both hands. So uh, I, it is what it is. You almost don't want to say like, hey, Nani, it's on you. But she knows that moving forward, she's going to have a huge role in helping this team just get going. And if she can take care of the basketball and limit her turnovers, that's the start. Her ball security really feels like is the start. Then the shots will go in. Then things will start to fall together. You play defense uh, when you're playing more confidently, when you're not turning the ball over. So I'm, I'm, I feel confident in saying, Cleon, that moving forward, as Nani Falatea goes, BYU basketball will follow. I, I was impressed with Ariel Mackey-Williams, Kaylee Smiler this year. They're getting big-time minutes that they didn't get the year before, and they did pretty well in their first season as starters. They had some good games. I could say the same thing for Emma Calvert. It feels like this team still needs more playmakers or women who can handle the ball. I I think that coming into this next season, Coach Whiting has recruited some of those players. One of them is her daughter, Amari, who originally committed to Oregon, and then former Duck Jenna Isai is coming to play for the Cougars. A lot of guards. It could mean that we could see more playmakers on this team, but it feels like they also need some more post players. Uh, it, it feels like Coach Whiting is finally going to get her team next season as they go into the Big 12. She's done an incredible job recruiting, has a fantastic class coming in. You mentioned Jenna Asai and Amari Whiting. You team them up with 
Nani Falatea and an emerging Ari Mackey Williams, who played really well at times in the West Coast Conference tournament. And then your defensive specialist, Kaylee Smiler. Not to mention what BYU is going to bring over internationally. They got the number two overall recruit coming from Spain on the guard line. Now BYU just needs some size. And Emma Calvert is that for the Cougars. Heather Hampson has raw size, but she's still working on her raw skills as a basketball player. BYU women's basketball is probably, um, you know, a center or power forward away from legitimately threatening to be a top four Big 12 team in year one. And maybe that sounds ambitious to some. Right now, I mean, if you didn't give me any additional pieces other than the ones that BYU already has, and we know the recruits that are coming in, I feel very confident in saying that BYU will will undoubtedly finish in the top half of the Big 12 Conference and probably be a top six, maybe top five team. Now, you give the Cougars some size, just one more big player to go along with uh, some really, really tough guards and some great recruits. Now, now we're thinking about maybe a top four finish. Uh, BYU played the number two team in the Big 12 this year, Oklahoma, really well at home and ended up losing that game late. But I mean, they, they carry the lead for a large portion of that game. Um, Oklahoma's a talented squad. BYU's got the talent to hang with them, to beat those teams. There's Marriott Center Magic involved. Cleon, I feel like Amber's one big recruit away, and I mean that literally, a big <laughs> center or power forward recruit away from legitimately being one of the big 12 powers in women's basketball. Thanks to Spencer Linton. When we come back, gymnastics fun and frustrations with Mikael Merkley. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. The BYU women's gymnastics team is done with their home meets, and they went out with a bang. The team scored 196.450 against USU and 196.350 against Alaska. Then they scored 195.575 at Ohio State. So I asked gymnastics analyst Mikael Merkley what happened in the span of three weeks. You know, this team's just a little bit unpredictable, unfortunately. I feel like BYU in the past, they get very good, especially by the end of season, of just getting up and hitting their routines. I have their scores pulled up from that meet right now, and it looks like they had two falls on beam, which means they had to count one of those falls. They had a fall on floor, which they didn't have to count, but it kind of affected the other scores. And so it's really just an unpredictable, it's just an unpredictable team. You're not really sure if they're going to get up and hit their sets or not. How much of that is just unfamiliarity, I should say? How much of that is an unfamiliarity with the site? You know, if these gymnasts have never been to Ohio State before, it's hard getting used to using the equipment that's there or where things are set up or et cetera. It can play a little bit of a role as far as, I mean, traveling meets are just harder. You're tired. You've been on a bus or a plane. You're missing school. So you're trying to make up your homework at random times. Um, but when I look at their overall scores, they're also you know, they had a home meet against Boise State where they scored a 195.4. And then they had an away meet immediately after where they scored a 196.65. So they were actually, there There doesn't seem to be a pattern of home and away as far as the high and low scores seem to be happening. You would think 
that that would kind of drive coach guard young nuts, but maybe you could say the same thing of you'd think that that might drive the girls a little bit nuts right now too, because <laughs> it's just like, well, who am I going to be when I come out or, you know, what, what's this team going to be when we, when we hit the floor? I think it's definitely driving everyone nuts. <laughs> when you talk to guard or the other coaches, they have tried so hard to they're pretty good about being objective. Guard loves himself a good chart, some good data, because it's so easy when you're working with humans to let your personal bias get in. So normally he can kind of look at data and say, okay, this is what's going on. But because the data is all over the place, he is having a hard time. And they're trying all sorts of different things. They're mixing routines up. They're trying to you don't want to add too many new variables, right? Because you don't know what worked, but you can't keep doing the same thing because that's not working. And I do think he's having a hard time. As far as the girls go, it's very, it's not a good feeling when you're going in hoping to hit instead of asking how well you're going to hit. It's definitely, you compete a little bit differently when you're competing not to fail versus competing competing to win. You talked earlier in the season about this being a young squad. I know that there are seniors on this team that are participating. We'll talk about them in a moment. But you talked about some of the younger people on this squad. I, I was curious who's impressed you. I, I'm thinking of Kylie Equinto, who's been impressive on the vault and bars, and Madison Raisley Patton, who's done well on the vault and beam. Your thoughts on those two freshmen or any other young gymnasts who've, who've impressed you so far this season? Both have been great. Kylie Aquinto, yes, she has really stepped up. I've been pleasantly surprised by Sophie Dudley. I feel like we didn't see a lot of her before, and we're starting to see more of her on all the different events, and she's doing phenomenally. Um, high Schooly seem to be doing a good job. Mina Margraf, we will be seeing a lot of her in the coming years. She is going to be a phenomenal competitor. I, I noticed that she did a lot better recently. I believe it was in the Alaska match or the Utah State match. Uh, she did very well. What What is it that Mina has improved upon from her freshman to her sophomore season? I would say just consistency. It takes a level of confidence to, she mainly has been competing beam and beam is so tricky to do at the college level because you're in this huge environment. It's not like basketball or football where you're out there with your teammates, you're out there all alone and it's just you for everyone to watch. And it takes a little, it's a little bit of a change compared to coming from club. And I just think that as the season went on last year, she did an exhibition spot, which meant she got to go out and practice, but she could not compete for the team. This year we saw her all season on balance beam. And if you look at her scores, they've just consistently gotten better throughout the season. On the She Got Game podcast uh, on BYU Radio, Elise Rollins and Anissa Alvarado both said in individual interviews that they were going to come back for one more season, even though they were just honored on senior night not too long ago. Sounds like good news since Elise has been dominant on beam and Anissa is, is really good on the bars. That is great news. Anissa, we have just been, uh, we've been looking at her scores all season because she is easily good enough to be an All-American and she's just right on that bubble. And the hard part is gymnastics is so subjective. So Spencer and I, when we watch the meets, we have felt she has been underscored on a few routines 
that would have put her into qualifications as an All-American. So if she could have one more year to just prove herself, that would be awesome for Anissa. And Elise is coming back on a couple different events, which is great because we could really benefit from her, that leadership and just that experience. That experience makes a big difference. She's working a vault for next year, which will have a 10-0 start value, which would be really great for the Cougars. The more 10-0 start values you have, just the better you look to the judges. It was funny when we talked to Elise, uh, she said that beam, she's been called the beam queen, but beam is not her favorite discipline anymore. She likes vault and floor because they're more of a challenge and she doesn't feel like she's, basically she has something still to work for. Does that surprise you? And how how much better can she get on those two disciplines of vault and floor? It, she was making me laugh in that interview because she is so humble and she's so worried to come off as overly confident. So I love that she she refuses to just acknowledge that she's awesome at beam. She is awesome at beam. Um, so there definitely is more room to improve on floor and vault. With her vault, I can easily see it going up a full 10th next year, which would be a big deal if she's consistently scoring in the 9-8 range. And then with her floor passes, I'm looking here at her scores from the season. She's consistently in the 9-8 range. She has a very clean floor routine. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw her improve her leaps a little bit, improve just those little. This is really her first year on floor. So if she can take what she's doing and build upon that, she could easily be a 9-9 floor worker. Wow. That would be impressive. Uh, to be able to do that, especially since she's a walk-on. She mentioned in that interview, she mainly uh, she mainly focused on the things that she was good at, and she wasn't even sure if she would get a scholarship. to. So to be able to, to participate in three events would be amazing for her. Uh, just a couple more questions. I know we still have a bit of time left, but do you think BYU will get into the NCAA regionals? They need to make it into the top 36 in national qualifying score rankings. I believe they stand at number 33 before they go down and they perform at Arizona. They are. They're listed at 33 right now. They are just in a really tricky spot because we saw after their last home meet, they actually jumped up to spot 28. They needed a really good meet at Ohio and they didn't quite get it. The problem is everyone else is also doing a lot better right now. So BYU is putting up a lot better scores, but everyone else is as well. So that's hard as far as they're in a ranking position. Um, right now, I'm imagining that we will see them in the play-in category, which are the teams ranked 29th through 36th. If they do make the regionals and don't go any further, would that still be considered a pretty good season for how up and down it's been? Oh, yeah. And regionals, honestly, are very competitive. When I was on the team... You went to regionals if you were scoring, you know, 194s. That was a very acceptable RQS. You were guaranteed a spot to regionals, basically. BYU's NQS is 196.2 right now. And gymnastics has just gotten so competitive. So they've still had a good season. They've done very good gymnastics. It's just everyone else is doing a little bit better and a little bit more consistent this year. Mikhail, you're the best. Thanks a lot for joining us here on Behind the Mic. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Download and subscribe to Behind the Mic wherever you find podcasts or listen to all episodes on the BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.